0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, so this is a two-week series on performance—about performance, pressure, performance, anxiety—and I wanted to start out by strangling myself. Um, I wanted to start out uh, with this video. And it's, it's not that the, we're having a little technical difficulty. But, you know, I'm just going to put the audio in. And you'll, you're going to recognize it because it is John McEnroe. Uh, John McEnroe at Wimbledon back in 1981. Some of you may remember the famous, you cannot be serious. Yeah, Mr. Davis knows. Yeah, so here we go. I want to listen. I wish you could see it because to see his face. But here we go. Okay, so this tirade goes on for quite a while. I do want to say the ball was flagrantly in. (laughs) I mean, it's not even debatable. When he says the chalk popped up, I mean, like it looks like a IED went off. There's so much chalk flying up into the air. It's clearly in. But here's the thing about that. So you know, when we when we hear that, like what what is our primary reaction in here when we see John McEnroe's reaction. We're kind of laughing, right? Ah, this is funny. And, you know, I always kind of thought it was funny. Well, I was watching it yesterday. And, man, yeah, take a look. Take a look at his face. Take a look at his face as he's having this episode. And it's so sad. It's so, so sad. If he's, he, this is a 1981 John McEnroe um, John McEnroe, I think, won 12 Grand Slams. Uh, Some argue he's the greatest tennis player ever. But John McEnroe is young. He's only 21 years old. Uh, He barely looks like he's shaving, if you can see the video. And you can just... And so I watched a whole compilation of John McEnroe tirades. Um, (laughs) It it was something. And I'm not... even Even just describing it really genuinely makes me so sad because you can see this young man and... He is tortured. He is tortured. You know, like he he'll he'll have tirades at himself when he makes mistakes. He'll really really go after you know the, the judges and just I mean that video goes on for like seven minutes and he goes on and on. He he gets in tr- he gets in trouble twice. He uh, uh, there's no young ears. He calls the judge the piss of the earth it's pretty you know and this is at Wimbledon yo. Yeah, you know like <laughs> maybe in the U.S. Open uh, you know Flushing Meadows you can get away with that jersey right right Ben to heart no um, Wimbledon and Wimbledon he, he uses that terminology and he just has completely lost himself and you can see in his again in his face this sense that he is tortured he's tortured under this um, need to perform, this, you know, need to succeed, just the, the terror of the idea um, that he might fail. And so, um, I, you know, I think that, in, uh, I think that in different areas of all of our lives, we feel this performance pressure. Um, and, you know, for some people, uh, it's in work. You're a lawyer, and you have to bill the hours, and you have to win the case. Um, You're a salesperson, and uh, you've got to make quota. You must make quota. Uh, You're a real estate agent, and you must move the house. Um, You're a student, and you have to make a certain GPA. Uh, You're an athlete and you must succeed, you must start, you must win. So, you know, kind of vocationally you feel that. But this, you know, and you might be like, oh yeah, those type A people, yeah. There are a lot of type A people at this church, yeah, but I'm not one of those people, you know? Like, I was, I liked doing sorority, and I was a C student, and I'm not one of those people. Oh yeah, you're not one of those people? What about people who are coming over to your house for dinner? How about your mother-in-law and your family's coming for Thanksgiving? You feeling the, you feeling the performance pressure? Absolutely, I mean, uh, is, there, is, there, is there anything uh, more intense than uh, the household of a family where there's going to be a birthday party for a three-year-old? <laughs> I mean, husbands, amen, amen. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah. So we feel it in so many ways. People feel it in, in, on social media, their need to you know, procure a certain image on social media. People feel it in their appearance, the clothes they wear. Uh, you know, their weight, their hair, all this kind of stuff. I mean, that it's a kind of. I feel like I'm. I'm I feel like I'm picking on ladies here. It's just, I'm not really. Through, I don't mean to throw any shade here. Wipe off. You know, wipe off the hate. No. Um, but you know, I had a, I had a woman who's a counselor say to me. She said, "Look, you just need to accept this. It's unrealistic for a woman to leave the house without at least an hour and a half of lead time in the morning." And I was like, for reals? And um, she's like, yes, dude, like there. And she went through the whole routine and, you know, that that might be an exaggeration on her part. But just to say, like, there's a there's a sense, a a need to perform in a certain manner in order to leave the house. Um, And so, yeah, we we all feel it in so many different ways. There's a need to perform in a certain way in conversations and social situations where you look cool or you look smart or you look sophisticated, you know. And um, as I say, nobody ever evolves past the middle school lunch table. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so performance, performance is something um, that I personally have thought about a great deal in my life uh, because of like the stress, the anxiety, the pressures that I feel really fit well within this concept of performance. And so, so that's what we're gonna talk about for two weeks. Today, we're gonna spend a little bit more time uh, looking at the anatomy of performance, and in particular focusing on the audience of performance, um, and then next week we're going to look more at kind of the freedom and so the fr- freedom from performance and how the gospel does that. We're going to get into that today too. We're going to spend a little more time this week diagnosing uh, the problem, and so um, so I want to uh, I want to read. I really got on a, a tennis kick. I had these. Uh, friends who were twins in college uh, at Wake Forest, and they were superstar tennis players. They grew up, um, they were in the, you know top 25 in the country, uh, coming out of high school, heavily recruited, and they were like, you ain't met crazy till you've met tennis parents. They said, it's the in terms of all the different kinds of sport parents, it's the most intense breed of all the sport parents, um, and so Andre Agassi, which many of you, especially your my age, you're familiar with. Uh, he was one of the premier tennis players of the 1990s. He won eight Grand Slams. He's from Las Vegas. He was kind of the bad boy. He had the long hair, had the headband. Was really really cool. Had the Nike deal. Um, had pretty cool shoes. His Nike, his Nike shoes came out around the same time as the Bo Jacksons. Um, yeah, really really hip. So anyhow, this is from his autobiography, and his his dad was known to be. Um, a legendary tennis tyrant, um, he says. Uh, so, says in his autobiography entitled Open, Agassi lays out very clearly that his, what his life was like. Despite his fame and fortune, he felt like he was living a life of abject misery. He absolutely hated playing tennis. He described playing tennis as torture. And the court was his prison. His punishment began in his early childhood and never endured, uh, and never ended until he retired. No matter how much I wanted to stop, I don't. I keep begging myself to stop, I keep playing. He pursued perfect performance in tennis, not for the joy of accomplishment and achievement, but only to relieve the terrible feelings of low self worth and to counteract judgments of self criticism. Though I hate tennis, I like the feeling of hitting a ball dead perfect. It's the only peace. When I do something perfect, I enjoy a split second of sanity and calm. Relentless and futile pursuit of such perfection became his goal. So, you you know, this is an extreme example, but boy, that's intense, you know? And we'll get into a little more to some of the childhood stuff. Um, But this is a good example of, you know, feeling like you're living on a treadmill. Feeling like, you know, uh, you're you're only as good as your next play, and that, you know, what have you done for me lately? And so I have this um, diagram. Uh, if, if you don't have it, uh, Margaret, Margaret and Fontaine may have some extras for you, but I have this diagram of the performance cycle. I've got an, one extra, one extra up here, uh, of the performance cycle. And um, actually, I've got two up here. Anybody feel welcome to come on up here? We're a casual bunch. Uh, And so what I want you to see is that, you know, on the baseline of the performance cycle, you have um, kind of the output, the reaction. You have effort. You have expectations. You have outcomes. Um, And, you know, this is kind of a response, though, to what is really driving performance. And the things that are driving performance are, one, the audience. That's at the very highest level. And then under audience is the standard, the standard that you have to live up to. And so what I wanna to do today is I wanna walk through uh, and examine how the, um, how the audience and the standard drive this sense of the need to perform, the need to expend max effort, the expectation that, that you, you must ex- succeed, and if you do succeed, you'll have a sense of peace, and then what the actual outcomes are. Um, and so we're going to look at this uh, you know, performance under the law, or under the, in the flesh, versus in the spirit, um, under the gospel. And the thing is, is, like sometimes when we talk about this stuff, there can be this kind of naive disconnect with reality. Like, if you are uh, a builder, you, you have to build the houses, you know, like, it's it, it's not like the gospel is saying like just hang up your tools and sit at home and don't build the house that you've been contracted to build <laughs> if you if you are a salesperson you you do have to make an effort um to um have to make an effort to to make your quota to be- fa- you know to be faithful in your job and so how is it that how is it that um you know we perform so to speak but in a manner that is Uh, in a manner that is in line with and in response to God's perfect grace and unconditional love for us. And a a quote that you're going to hear me say a lot is God is opposed to earning. God is not opposed to effort. God is opposed to trying to earn his favor, trying to earn his love, trying to earn his blessing. He is opposed to that because that's actually sin. Like we receive the blessing and the grace of the Lord as a gift. We receive that. Um, so he's opposed to earning, but he's not opposed to effort. Um, you know, he's not opposed to us uh, trying hard, you know, studying hard for a test, <laughs> doing a good job, uh, trying to, and if you're a surgeon, trying to, to perform a good surgery. He's not, that, 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 that actually honors the Lord. But how do we do that in freedom? How do we do that with the comfort and the rest that we're perfectly accepted through the Lord? And so that's what we're going to be gunning for. And so first, let's, we're going to walk through uh, my, fancy, my fancy-dancy uh, PowerPoint. <laughs> it's been technically... Um, Technically discontinued. So we're just going to look at this at this 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 chart here and go through the different components of it again. John, Stacy, y'all can come. I got I got I got a couple. Of, oh, you got it. You're good. Good students. Good students. There you go. Okay. So first, we're going to talk about the audience, and here's uh, something that I think is why this word, um, why this word performance, I think is so helpful, is when you think about performance, you tend to associate that with being up in front of an audience. You know, boy, think about uh, think about you know getting up in front of a room of people and speaking, or um, think about pl- singing or playing the piano, or dancing in front of you know hundreds or thousands of people. I mean, that's really, really scary. Having an audience is really, really scary. I think that's why a lot of times when um, uh, a critical, uh, like you're an adult, and like a very critical in-law or a very critical parent comes in town, why there's so much tension. It's like, oh boy, now there's an audience to my parenting. Uh, And the expectation is that audience is going to criticize or judge um, or see you as as less than. And so um, the audience uh, is is really what we're going to primarily focus on here is who is the audience of your performance. And so I want to first get in, and and, and I want to get into Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, and kind of look at the origins of performance. Like, what is it at the intrinsic, innate, spiritual level that where our default mode is feeling a need to perform, feeling a need to measure up, no matter who you are, no matter what your personality is. And so we're going to start here um, with you on my PowerPoint. But uh, with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith." And so in creation, we are made to live under the perfect love of God. That is what you were made for, to be perfectly loved. And anything less than that is gonna be unsatisfactory to your soul. There's gonna be a restlessness in your soul until you see and experience the perfect love of God. And um, And so then because of sin, Uh, because of sin uh, that breaks our relationship with the Lord. And deep in our heart, everybody has a sense that there is a perfectly holy and just God. And that when we die, we will go before that perfect, holy, and just God and we'll be judged. We'll either be accepted or rejected. And you kind of of see this. um, You see this particularly throughout world religions. You know, I, I would say Christianity has the only only, uh, only true solution to this problem. But in all world religions, pagan world religions, so on and so forth, there is a sense that something is off between me and God, and i got to get it right. There is a standard, and I do not measure up to it. And I, I think people can um, kind of delude themselves to think that ah, that's, not, that's not real. Like, that's not going to happen. And there's, you know there's not actually a judge. God's not a judge. But I promise you, as someone who does pastoral ministry, if you ask anybody who visits people on deathbeds, when you're on your deathbed, it, it gets real. It gets real, and you come into reality. And so with that being said, there is this uh, sense in our hearts, and, and most of, I would say, 98.5% of this is subconscious, that something is off that there's some manner in which we do not measure up. And that has got to be fixed. And so whether it's you feel performance to bake the perfect meal for someone who's coming over, you feel performance to have a perfect presentation for you know something in your job, you feel uh, the need to have a perfectly clean house or apartment, uh, a perfectly clean car, whatever it is, this impulse to perform flows out of an innate reality, an innate sense that we all have, that eternity has been placed on our hearts, that there's a, a perfect God, and that we in some way do not measure up. And so, so with that being said, Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, But who can endure the day of the Lord? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in the righteousness to the Lord. This, this, this notion, who can stand when he, who, when he appears? When God in all his justice, all his holiness, when you are before that God, can you stand? Can you stand? And so it's interesting, the Latin root of the word righteousness means to be upright. To be And so a way you can kind of theologically translate that is that through the forgiveness of Jesus, through the righteousness of Jesus that comes to you through faith in Christ, you are purified and made such that all of your sins are washed away and you can stand upright before God with, with, total, with a total sense of peace. That is why the gospel is at the center of our ability to live with freedom and comfort, to, to expend effort in a way that honors the Lord, that, that flows out of joy and gratitude rather than uh, out of fear and out of a fear of rejection and condemnation. And so, um, so let's go back to this, this concept of audience. So here, this is at the very top. This is at the very top of, uh, of your diagram. And, um, and so I want to read this, uh, this note from, again, from Andre Agassi's uh, autobiography. Uh, Agassi's father made several key parenting errors. Actually, I don't want to read that one. I've got a better one. Here we go, the word, let's see here. Yeah, here we go, let's do it. Agassi's father made several key parenting errors. First of all, he was completely over-controlling. What are you doing? Stop thinking, no thinking. He never asked the young young man, would you like to play tennis? He alone decided for his son that his life would be dedicated to tennis. He forced him to play every minute of his childhood, even making him miss school on occasion uh, for extra practice. He was literally a slave driving drill sergeant. I take no pride in my reflexes. I get no credit. It's what I'm supposed to do. Every hit is expected. Every miss is a crisis. I don't want to upset my father. I don't dare. Bad stuff happens when my father's upset. If he says I'm going to play tennis, if he says I'm going to be number one in the world, then that is my destiny. All I can do is nod and obey. My father yells at me twice, sometimes three, sometimes ten times. Stronger, he says, stronger, faster, Dang it. Andre, hit faster. It hurries me, yells at me. It isn't enough, it's not enough that I hit all the balls that the dragon shoots at me. You want, it to, you want to hit it harder and faster than the machine. He wants me to beat the dragon. The dragon, he refers to, was a high-repetition ball machine. So little Andre could practice all day endlessly. The words that were captured in his autobiography open portrayed their father as a tyrant, as he often calls him in his book in which he revealed that he made him complete, compete against the ball machine to be the best. Dad says if I hit 2,500 balls a day, I'll hit 17,500 a week and almost a million a year. Believe in math. Numbers don't lie, he said. A child who hits a million balls a year will be unbeatable. He explained He explained about the type of training that came to make him hate the sport. All right, so that's pretty intense, yeah. Um, but here's the thing, is like that, was his audience. That was his audience. And sounds like his dad was his coach, so his dad was at every practice. But I promise you, when his dad, let's say that his dad had died when he was 20 years old and he had continued playing professionally. I promise you, his dad would be his audience for every single match he played, whether he was physically present, whether he was even alive and on the earth. His dad was his audience. And So here's the problem with human audiences. The problem with human audiences is they generally lean towards judgment. They generally lean towards uh, criticism. And Here's the thing about it, is because we're made to be loved perfectly, because we're made to live before a, a, an audience of a perfect loving Heavenly Father, even if you get 49 words of affirmation, that one word of like the only thing I would say that you could have done better. That's the one that you stick on, right? That's the one that you stick on. And by the way, this is not to, like, send parents into, like, a spiral of, like, I'm ruining my children! I'm not saying this at all. Like, we have to learn to deal with both, you know, with with, uh, feedback and all of that. I'm just saying the way that the human heart in our sin tends to um, uh, interpret things is we tend to hear judgment. That is... The lens that out of sin that we're born with, Um, and so um, so with that being said, the audience that we live before tends to create fear and anxiety and a need to earn, a need to earn and to measure up. All right, so that is the audience. Well, then here's the next the next aspect here um, is the standard. What is the standard? What is the what is what is the standard that you have to measure up to to be acceptable. You know? you know, in a school situation maybe the standard is, it's funny, I'll ask students this, I'll be like, so for you, like, what, what, what's good for you? Like, do you, are you cool, like, being a B student? Are you cool with being an A, B student? or B's and C's, you know, what's kind of, what, what do you kind of aim for as a student? And, you know, it's it differs for every person, but no matter who you are, like, everybody, everybody's got a standard and that standard flows into all aspects and facets of your performance. You know, the standard may be that your house is perfectly clean, or your standard might be that, um, uh, gosh, that you have to drive a certain kind of car, or you have to have a certain kind of house. Uh, your standard may be that, you know, you have zero body fat, and you're super fit, and you know, you don't eat any GMOs, whatever that means. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, you see it. You see that we all kind of have these standards, and generally, we kind of manufacture our own standards. Um, we manufacture our own standards, and it's, it's yeah, it's, um, it's just part of the nature of our sin, but it's part of life in the flesh. It's part of life under the law, is that we develop these standards that We feel like we have to measure up to. So there's the audience and then there's the standard. And and going back to Romans 3, the standard, the standard in the spiritual realm, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the standard that our heart is set on. And the glory of God is perfection. It's moral perfection. And so that is why we live with this, we live with a sense of inadequacy and we live with this sense of I don't measure up and I've got to perform. It's because there is a reality that we need to be perfect and we're not. And again, that is why the gospel is at the heart of having freedom from performing out of fear. Uh, and it's because in Christ you receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You perfectly measure up. Uh, and so you measure up to the standard. And so it's so repentance in this is remembering the fullness of your remembering the fullness of your salvation, remembering the way that God has purified you, remembering the way that the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed upon you, such that you measure up fully and perfectly. You meet the standard in Christ, uh, in the spiritual realm. Um, and so, so without that being said, uh, the um, so we said there's the audience. The audience is usually an audience of judgment. Uh, there's a standard, the thing that we need, feel like we need to feel, uh, measure up to. And so, in the flesh, um, in the flesh, with um, with the the audience of judgment, and with uh, the standards that we kind of manufacture for ourselves, in the flesh, our response is first effort. We got to get it done. If Thanksgiving is gonna measure up, I got to start on Monday morning. Uh, you know, if, if, if I am going to uh, perform in a certain way in a deposition, I got to, you know, do this, that, and the other. And, um, and hey, that's all, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, being prepared, working hard, it's a God-honoring thing. Uh, however, it, when we come at it out of the flesh, what drives it, what feed, what fuels the tank is fear. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's stress, and so then there is this sense of, I've got to perform in a certain way, and if I do, there's an expectation of what the outcomes will be. There's an expectation of I will, I'm gonna, I'm gonna please that person. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna feel okay if I, if I can, if I can win this case, or if I can get to this certain uh, level of financial security, if. Um, yeah, if I, can, if I can measure up, then I'm going to feel at peace in my soul. Or I'm going to please the audience. You know, if, if, if the kids act a certain way, they're dressed a certain way, and the house looks a certain way, mom is not going to say anything critical. And so in the flesh, we have this sense of expectation that generally sets us up for crushing disappointment. <laughs> for crushing disappointment. Or it sets us up for... Uh, self-righteousness, for a minute, but ultimately for dissatisfaction, because you know, the the um, the standard that we can measure up to, the righteousness that we can self-generate, it's it's inadequate. <laughs> We're made for the righteousness of Jesus. That that's sustainable. That's eternal. That's lasting. Um, and so, with that being said, out of the flesh, um, yeah, out of the flesh, we generate these expectations that just make this even more complicated, even more difficult. And then ultimately we have the outcomes. So the question here is like, when we go through the cycle, is when we go through the performance cycle, of we have the false audience, we have the standard we have to measure up, we expend the effort, we have the expectations, we're usually disappointed in those, we have the, out- the actual outcomes. The question is, how do we respond when we've operated out of the flesh? Keeping in mind, that our default mode is to operate out of the flesh. Like, if I do not sit down in the morning and spend time with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to help me bathe in the realities of... You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.